Hello, my magical friends. My name's Ayumi. My pronouns are she, her, hers, and you're listening to Sparkle Side Chats with Magical Girl Ayu. Whether it's your first or 179th time listening, we welcome you to our space to celebrate magical girls from every corner of the world. We have some news, and I've watched some things, and then we'll get to today's topic. So let's get started. So the first thing we have to talk about are some Magical Girl Kickstarters. So first one is Wheels and Roses, which I believe I did discuss on the last episode. But this is a Kickstarter started by Pearl Lowe of Orange Blossom Studios, which is their new indie animation studio. I'm very excited about this project. They have, as of this recording, about $30,000. So they're still quite a ways away from completion because animation requires a lot more funding than um, other things. And speaking of which, the second Kickstarter is Magical Girl Mimi 24-7, which is a Kickstarter by MOC or Mirang Onchua. They have done other Magical Girl things before, but their Kickstarter is for a comic because they are a comic artist. So they've also done Goodbye Princess Peony is the other one that they did um, previously. I am super excited about this story. It looks super cute. Um, This one has already been fully funded. So yeah, I just think that it's really important that both of these projects get funded. But I understand if you cannot afford to fund both. So if you can only afford to fund one, please do Wheels and Roses because animation requires more money than comics. But yeah, (laughs) both look really, really promising. And I'm super excited for both of them. I really hope that they both make all the money they need and have a really successful venture. Yes. Next, in the world of Sailor Moon, we got an announcement for a new musical starring the fifth generation of Nogizaka 46, the um, J-pop group. So they have done previous iterations of this. This is going to be just simply called Sailor Moon 2024. Pretty straightforward. I do believe it's just going to be the Dark Kingdom arc over again. Um, So this isn't exactly something exciting as far as Sailor Moon stuff is concerned, I guess. But, you know, some people are are going to enjoy this. And I would love to go see another musical, so I am down. (laughs) Um, Next, we got an update for Acrotrip. So Acrotrip's first key visual and first promotional video have debuted. They still haven't updated about when this year it's coming, but it is coming this year. So that's super exciting. And with that, that's all the news, so let's move on to what I've been watching and reading. So first, of course, uh, Magical Girl Aiko. This is the short series that is a a parody of Magical Girls and is a social satire as well, though not necessarily a very good one. Still, I am watching it every week. And in the last episodes, we've gotten the introduction of the Aiko camera, which is a camera which records everything all the time, and so... When something bad happens to you that is problematic and you uh, you can call out to the camera, it will immediately upload the incident on social media so that it can immediately get um, viral. It's pretty wild. Yes, this, this series is very wild. In any case, it's considered a huge success. So in the following episode, they announce just how successful it has been in not preventing anything, but just 
pointing out things so that Aiko can be powered up and use her, um, <clears throat> what was it again? Oh, yes. Her cancel beam. Um, yes, you can, you can hear in my voice how excited I am for the show. Not really. But nonetheless, as far as the positives go, the outfit is good. The animation is silly and stuff. And you can tell something else is going on as it has been announced that Aiko is running for government office. And this was news to everyone, including Aiko herself. So, yeah, it's a it's a weird one. But, you know, four minutes a week is not so, so much of a, a harm to watch for me personally. But getting into things that are harmful, gushing over magical girls has continued to be way disgusting. Just absolutely horrible. Um, can't really recommend it to anyone. Seeing that even people who read the comic are like, what the hell is this? It's been very interesting to see. I think, yeah, it's pretty clear. I've already come to the conclusion that this is not a project that I need to discuss on the podcast. You know, it's just going to be put in the bin with the other magical girl pornography because that is simply what this is. Um, I just can't. It was very difficult to stomach last episode and I am still debating whether or not I'm going to continue. I, I might drop it at any moment this season. We shall see how far I go along. <sighs> the things I do for the genre. Anyway, getting into the polar opposite of, of things in terms of uh, response, Wonderful Precure has continued to be wonderful. If you haven't already um, checked out, I do have a bonus episode watching the first episode of Wonderful Precure, which you can still, I guess, listen to if you'd like to it was a delight. I loved it so much. And I also loved episode two very much. I have a feeling that Friendy is going to be my favorite cure this year, but I still don't know yet. She does remind me of Prism in a lot of ways, but is also, um, I mean, in a way she is kind of like that straight man character, but it was just so delightful to find out that her desire to help out others is going to be really more towards helping animals and wanting to befriend animals more than people, which is kind of what people expected, I think, based on the introductions to the characters. But yes, it was it was so fun. I love everyone already. And, you know, that's not a surprise because I love Precure. So I am just really, really looking forward to this season and what it's going to bring us. And last but not least, Komi Witch Lara Season 2 is still going. I believe now there is, as of this recording, one episode left to go onto the official YouTube before Season 2 is finished there. Of course, it's all this had all already aired in Korea long ago, but they have been week by week uploading the episodes on YouTube. So I have been enjoying it, as always, with, you know, the auto-translated subtitles, which means that there are definitely things that I am missing detail-wise, but I'm still having a good time. It, I, I really enjoy the characters and everything, and um, yeah, I'm really looking forward to seeing how this concludes. Oh, I should probably mention, because this is episode 179, that um, as of this season, I have decided for sure, in case you were wondering, that yes, even creator topic episodes will have new segments, because otherwise you would be waiting a whole... Um, month for news in that case. So yeah, in two weeks when I drop episode 180, which is another great episode I'm super excited about. I've already started editing on that one, but uh, there will be a new segment 
on that episode as well. So just be, you know, aware of that, I guess. And I have a lot of things I'm almost finished with and will be done by uh, the next time I record. So I'm really excited to share what I've been watching. Yes, so that's everything for that, which means we can move on to today's topic. Well, I'm very pumped for this. I realized as I was recording this episode and going back to edit this episode that I have ended up watching this first season of Yukiuna is a Hero three times. I haven't watched anything else from the franchise yet, nor have I read any light novels. And um, it was fun to revisit this first season and see its impact, etc. And see it as like an interesting kind of stepping stone in this particular franchise, which is now a decade old. But yes, Yukiuna is a hero. This was really great to revisit and discuss with another Magical Girl fan. A new guest today, Oh Mia God, or just Mia. She was a delight to talk to about Magical Girls. I cannot wait to have her back on in the future. I'm sure, I'm sure we'll find something else to talk about. And yes, she was just a delight. <laughs> so I hope you enjoyed this episode. But before we get into things, just some basic warnings. Um, we do, because of the nature of the show, discuss suicide attempts. And we also discuss um, sexualization of minors and um, gaslighting. It's a big, pretty big thing in this series. The I guess the main, main thing that is kind of Part of the course with this particular Magical Girl series is ableism, particularly physical uh, ableism. On that note, I did want to clarify because I realized how certain things sounded as I was going back to edit this episode. Just to be clear for anyone who does have a physical disability, like it is important to acknowledge that you are not less of a person if you have a physical disability, whether it's something that you are born with or something that you get uh, later in life, and I want to just make it very clear because this series does kind of play on the notion of of that, whether it means to or not. I just want to make that point clear and, I guess, show where the podcast stands <laughs> in that regard. I don't think there's anything else. Yeah, that's all I have to say. By the way, I should probably mention, if you couldn't tell from this recording, that I very recently just consumed a lot of caffeine, so I am trying my best to sound normal, but I do feel like I am speaking very quickly if I do not slow myself down like this. So I apologize if anything in this intro was difficult to understand. Um, that being said, I did sound good and normal for the main chat, so you can at least rest assured that the rest of this will be okay and good. With that, please enjoy this episode about the first season of Yukiuna is a Hero with Oh Mia God. Okay, so we are here to talk about the first season of Yuki Yuna is a Hero, and I'm very excited to get to know our new guest. Can you please introduce yourself? 
Sure. Hi. Uh, my name is Mia Violet. I am a uh, bit of a nerd, uh, <laughs> proud nerd, <laughs> and um, yeah, freelance writer. I I have a, a master's degree in media studies, which sounds very like lofty and fancy, but really it just means that I spent a year just talking about things that I like and just making presentations on things I'm a fan of and somehow got a degree for it. So uh, yeah, that's a little bit about me. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Awesome. And uh, what are your pronouns? She, her. Awesome. Okay. So yes, really excited to get into this series, which is, you know, like a pretty popular one, a very big franchise, which we'll get into, but uh, we're just going to talk about the, the kind of start of it here. But before we get into that, Mia, what is your history with the magical girl genre? Yeah, sure. That's a fun question. So surprise, surprise, like basically every Western millennial, uh, Sailor Moon <laughs> was basically, <laughs> you know, the, the introduction. So uh, I'm British, if that's not really obvious from my accent. <laughs> I do apologize though. I, I'm Northern English, so I don't have the kind of posh BBC pronunciation. I have the more uh, rough and tumble Northern accent. So I apologize if I'm a bit hard to understand for anyone. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, in, in England, we got Sailor Moon on Fox Kids in the early 90s, um, which of course thought it was fantastic. So what's very relevant, if it's not obvious already, is uh, I'm trans. So I'm a trans woman. So, you know, I um, when I was a kid, I was, you know, presenting as male, not by choice, uh, more by coercion, but, you know, don't need to go into that story. I've already written a book about that, if anyone cares. Um, <laughs> now that I'm plugging my book, it's called Yes, You Are Trans Enough, just saying five stars on Amazon. Anyway, back to Magical Girls. <laughs> if it's not obvious, <laughs> I have ADHD, so I can be a bit rambly, um, but I'll do my best to curb that for the podcast, not talk too fast. So yes, uh, Sailor Moon was was kind of my first exposure to Magical Girls. Then um, the next big series that really kind of um, sucked me in was um, My Hime and My Otome, mm. which I think it was about 16-ish, 16, 17, when they came out. Oh, I totally fell in love with that series. You know, I, I thought great characters, animation. I love the music as well. It's fantastic music. So when I was about like 18, 19, I kind of got out of anime for a bit, not like through any deliberate choice or anything. I kind of got really into um, comic books. Uh, when I went to college, uh, you know, I had a student loan. So I went down to the local like geeky shop uh, every week and just loaded up on comic books. Um, <laughs> and then in my mid twenties, after I had done my, uh, my master's degree, I, I basically found myself with a lot of free time all of a sudden. And that was when I was like, oh yeah, I'm trans. I should do something about that. So came out as trans, yada, yada, yada. This isn't a queer <laughs> podcast, so I won't waste time going into that. But as a result, I kind of let myself re engage with a lot of my interests that I'd kind of kind of blocked myself from being able to enjoy as part of like gender presentation nonsense. So part of that was like returning to Magical Girls. And um, so, you know, I rewatched Sailor Moon, got super into Sailor Moon, 
I discovered Pretty Cure, which was a seminal moment for me, uh, start of an obsession, I think. So yeah, I, I started watching through all of um, Pretty Cure, as I call it with my accent. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Pretty Cure, that's, that's easy to say without me butchering it with my Northern accent. No, it's, you're doing fine. It's fine. I think it sounds great. Yeah. Okay, cool. <laughs> I'm like, oh no, I'm, I'm like t on a podcast where everyone's an expert. I just imagine these people like, God, she can't even pronounce the series. Like, who is this? No way. Um, you're doing fine. It's, it's, <laughs> pronunciation is really not that big a deal, but also you are English. You're speaking with an English accent, whatever English accent that is, is fine. You know? <laughs> cool. <laughs> Yeah, so so then um, Precure became sort of like the center of my Magical Girl fandom. Um, so, you know, I watched it in order and all the movies and everything, yada, yada. Spent way too much money importing things, uh, merchandise for it, which I, I still do. <laughs> but then, yeah, that, that kind of, like I said, was like the, the core of my Magical Girl fandom in that I kind of started to branch out to look for other things to kind of watch and enjoy. You know, I watched stuff like, um, oh, uh, Magical Girl Raising Project and mm -hmm. stuff like that, that I, I really enjoyed. Um, but yeah, Precure was always sort of what I came back to and then used that as like a jumping on point for like, oh, what else can I enjoy in this wonderful genre? So yeah, Magical Girl is kind of, they're kind of like a safe space for me, almost. I kind of, have binge watched them a lot during like stressful times of my life. So they've mm. got kind of like a special, special place in my heart, which it means, unfortunately, I don't engage with the fandom as much as I probably would like to, because I think I'm like, I don't know, I'm a bit weird. I'm like, it's, it's such like a safe space for me. So it's like a special little genre. I'm almost like, no, I, I want to, I, I don't want anyone to like say mean things about it or ruin it. Like, I gotta like protect it almost, <laughs> but I'm trying to kind of push back against that a bit and be like, no, I can engage with other fans and stuff. I don't, I don't have to just like, you know, hide in the corner with all my <laughs> expensive merchandise. But well, yeah, so that's my rambling summary. <laughs> yeah, no, that was great. That's great. And just for anyone listening, Mia is very serious about the merch because uh, I can see in her background she's got a lot of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can't lie. Yeah, see um, a lot of the figure arts of uh, like Sailor Moon and, and Pretty Cure going on in the background. Yeah, I, I promise like this is my normal setup. I haven't changed it to try and show off. I promise. <laughs> this is just just my normal background setup. I promise. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's fair. So let's get into um, Yukuna then. Yeah, again, this series this is a meta series at this point. There are basically three seasons and um, there's also a whole lot of light novels so this is like a very very expansive world also a mobile game which gets into a lot of extra stuff which i have yet to touch but there are like you know lists and stuff everywhere about how to get into this series but it did start with this animated series in 2014 this was a very interesting magical girl series because this is like while oh goodness i just realized it's like 10 years ago uh almost but yeah it's <laughs> yeah yeah it still uh, feels new but yeah. some, it's not <laughs> yeah yeah so you know this came out as a, a non-adaptive work so uh when people got into it it was kind of like exciting and to be like oh what is what is this magical girl show what could it be and um 
I think in the West in particular, it really blew up like after uh, episode two, because um, that was when we got the introduction of Togo's first uh, transformation. And so there was like a viral post on Tumblr that I remember seeing, and that's how I found out about this series, where people are like, oh my god, this is a really cool series that has a disabled magical girl. This girl's a wheelchair user, but she can transform and she has these ribbons that, you know, help move her around so she can still fight just like her friends. And so obviously a lot of people got very excited about that representation and rushed to watch the series. But, you know, just to kind of rewind a tiny bit, uh, the show is about you know, a bunch of girls who are in this hero club at their school. And it looks like a pretty typical Japanese school, except that we see that there are some things going on in terms of the, the world where they're kind of in this, this weird space. And there seems to be this whole thing about this god that's they're praying to, which is a little different from what you might see at an actual Japanese school. It seems a little bit more religious, perhaps. But otherwise, it seems like, you know, natural, like normal, n normal Japanese junior high school shenanigans. Um, <laughs> our main character, Yukiuna, of course, our title character is, you know, really interested in the idea of what it means to be a hero, um, not in a fighting physical sense, right? She's, she's, she's no Sora from Soaring Sky Pre-Gear, but she wants to like help out people and, you know, do what's best for her community. It's, it's all about like the hero club is all about community building and and you know participation and things it's quite cute yeah like the yeah. series opens with them um putting on like a show for like preschool kids mm -hmm. um, and that's like part of their like hero club uh shenanigans so it's kind of like them being like community heroes and just like doing things for the community and stuff yes yes exactly so you know so they're really in invested in that idea the club was not started by uh yuki you know though uh, the creator is Fu, who is an upperclassman. In total, we have Fu, we have Yuna, we have Togo, like I said, Togo Mimori, who is Yuna's best friend and next door neighbor. And then we also have Fu's younger sister. Itsuki is just like the cutest girl on the planet. Um, <laughs> she's my favorite, if you couldn't tell. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Oh, definitely, yeah. Yeah. In the first episode, everything seems normal for a while. And then one day, it turns out that like all of time has has frozen suddenly for the four girls and uh it we find out that there's actually this whole system that they are part of and they were selected for where they have to fight off these things called the vertexes there are 12 of them and once they defeat them all they help to protect the the god tree right shinjusama and that helps to keep the world safe because shinjusama is protecting everyone else so it's a little scary. Actually, no, it's very scary at first because they enter this like other plane of existence where they see the tree and they see the vertexes who are like these just giant monstrosities. And they're really difficult to fight as well. They all have different fighting styles and they all kind of approach things very differently. You know, so Yuna is really gung-ho about it pretty much right away. Like I said, Togo doesn't actually transform until episode two because she's super nervous about it. She doesn't think she can do it. And so once it does happen, it's like very exciting, of course. 
And so the, the four of them fight and they are quickly joined later by a transfer student named Karin, who is super serious about this hero business. Um, she came specifically to help in the fight, not to do any hero club stuff, but she gets, you know, wrapped up in that as well. But yeah, it does, at first it just seems like a pretty normal kind of magical girl series, like just keep defeating the evil and you'll be the hero. But yeah, so before we get into more of the story, um, Mia, what is your history with the Yukiuna franchise? Sure. I wish I had some really interesting story about, you know, finding like the tumble post you mentioned and <laughs> everything. But uh, honestly, I came to it quite late. I came to it because, um, like I said earlier, I, w- I was kind of looking for like new Magical Girl series to watch, ideally ones that weren't too long. I'd, I'd watched a few, well, tried a few at that time that didn't really click with me they were either like super dark but it didn't feel like they had much to say other than just being dark for the sake of dark and then there was a couple that were kind of a little, a little bit um skeevy kind of skeevy and a bit like Ooh, okay <laughs> and then yeah i came across yuki yuna and um yeah first episode i was like cool yeah this looks really good this looks like what i want um, and yeah, seeing uh, Togo transform at the in the second episode and be like, oh my god, this is a disabled magical girl. This is amazing. I sent a text message to my sister once I saw episode two because my, my sister's similar to me. She loves magical girl stuff, but um, she's a lot more critical, I think. Hmm. So my sister has physical disabilities, I should add. And one of the first things she said is like, oh, that's really cool, but... I imagine by the end of the series, she's cured, right? And I was like, uh, I hope not, but we'll see. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, that's how I found the series. And then I just beelined through it right to the end. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, the Tumblr post, you know, as it was airing, was like super big. That was like a really viral post and, and like naturally very exciting. I was also like in the Magical Girl Tumblr space specifically at the time. So it makes sense that I would have found that post and everything. But (laughs) I don't think I actually watched it as it was airing. I think I got into it like, because I was so busy at that time. I mean, I'm still busy today, but you know, like I think (laughs) I ended up watching it a little later, like after it aired. So I saw the reactions to the series in real time, but I didn't actually watch the series until a little later. Okay. Yeah, the series is is really, I think, interesting because of the way it's able to kind of balance the magical girl elements and the real life elements and also like tell a longer story because of the way like time passes pretty quickly <laughs> in the series. Like Cunning joins the group like about a month after their first battle she actually comes to the school um but like that's something that happens in the story in in the the episodes like pretty quickly um yeah we we kind of joined them at like snapshot moments don't we like like we'll jump into an episode and sometimes it will be a couple of weeks since they've last had a battle and it's like oh okay so you know sometimes pass and then we'll see like what they're dealing with today and um yeah the the balance of the everyday stuff is one thing that i really really liked oh shoot i can't remember what episode number it is exactly but there's an episode that's in the first half of the series i believe where there's no monsters or transformation or anything whatsoever the whole episode is just them kind of 
trying to help Itsuki get over her stage fright and mm, yes you know and, and they go to karaoke and 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 it's just it's a really nice episode it it doesn't feel like you know filler it doesn't feel like the killing time it really feels like it's developing the storyline of these girls and their friendship um I think that was the moment that clicked with me where I thought oh I really like this actually like I'm really I'm really enjoying this mm. because it felt like it it was giving equal attention to you know the, the the big world ending plot and then and it's also this nice show about friendship yeah absolutely so Itsuki is just again my favorite she's so cute she's baby right but um she yeah, she's super super shy she's always been that way like in this episode it's just about her you know having to sing in front of her class like she's not going on stage or anything it's just in the the scope of like just her that, that small world of you know trying to sing in front of your classmates can be embarrassing which is natural and normal and this is episode um four by the way cool. it's a very cute episode about how like they're all encouraging her you know and of course she is literally fu's younger sister but she is kind of a younger sister to the other two in a way like that is definitely their yeah. their dynamic and you know there is a little bit of like the magical girl aspect is that like during this whole situation fu is definitely getting uh, messages from from taisha the the big religious organization that is controlling everything you know telling her that the worst is coming right something is definitely happening soon that's like really big like at this point they have encountered five vertexes they're expecting seven more over time but we don't know when or where they're gonna show up it just like you know whenever it's possible etc like it's just like they, they can't really control that aspect more or less but yeah um it's a really cute episode about yeah just about that that stage fright issue and like them giving her the courage that she needed and by the end she does her best right she sings in front of everyone and it, it works out really well and she tells Fu like as they're going home that like she is she has figured out what she wants to be in the future. She's figured out her like life goal, but she's not gonna tell her yet. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, so at that point, um Karin is there when they're fighting the fifth vertex. So they had defeated four by themselves and then the fifth one with Karin, who comes out of nowhere and just like kicks ass, right? That's kind of her whole thing. <laughs> like, despite the fact that um she is just the same as as them right she's she's a student and everything she like is very into working hard and being strong for being a hero so like we see her just training all the time in her apartment she uh has like a what's it called? a treadmill and everything and it's like really yeah. <laughs> it's, it's it's really funny how much she's just like so dedicated to this calling yeah it's like a whole her whole life is dedicated to this cause it's all about you see her like everyday routine it's just like get up train like concentrate like you know eat the healthy food go to sleep she's very just like single-minded on it in contrast to the rest of the group who are you know they're, they're still doing their their hero activities and they're you know looking for someone to adopt a cat and they're updating the website and all this cute stuff yeah yeah but, you know, despite that, they do end up getting to her and everything. The The process of her becoming part of the Hero Club and and everything is very cute. So we do like that. Yeah. But yeah, episode five is a pretty big one because as was warned about, like, the worst is happening is in 
all seven of the the last uh, vertexes are out and ready to fight and so they have to all fight them and it's like pretty wild the vertexes seem to be like kind of teaming up to face them as well so it's a really really tough battle and like in general the battles are like very big and epic and exciting but one thing that they've learned uh, specifically from Karin is that uh, if they channel like all of their power they can do something called mankai or full bloom and if they do that that is like basically like the super huge version of their powers so it's like super exciting when they do do that so in this uh, particular episode during the battle four of the girls end up achieving mankai form the only one who does not is Karin she definitely has a little bit of a complex about that but um yes as as the fight ends they see that the girls are a bit uh, exhausted, right? Uh, but, you know, they've defeated all seven. That means that they have done their duty of defeating the 12 vertexes and like everything should be over. So the next episode, episode six, they get checkups and everything. So we see that Itsuki has lost her voice. And we also see that Togo has lost hearing in her, one of her ears. Yuna has lost her sense of taste. And, and Fu has lost sight in one of her eyes. But, you know, they're like, oh, yeah, you know, you're exhausted. This is fine. These will all get better soon enough once you're, you're healed up. So nothing to worry about. Due to her own condition, Togo is in the hospital for a little bit longer than the others. And we see that she's, like, taking notes. She's uh, very diligent about that. She's also, like, very good with computers and stuff. <laughs> yeah. yeah. She's got, like, a spreadsheet open at one point. And she's, like, you know, got all their names and she's sort of... She she's the first one to kind of suspect that perhaps they're not being told the whole truth about everything. Yeah, yeah. And then meanwhile, Kanin is feeling some kind of way about the fact that she's the only one who didn't achieve Mankai form and the fight is over, right? They defeated all the vertexes. So now she doesn't really know what to do because she she has been de dedicating her whole life to this um, task and now the task is over and she doesn't know what's left for her. And she's also kind of been avoiding the hero club for that reason. But yeah, I think it ends up being a very cute episode for Karin because, you know, Yuna's able to convince her that, you know, actually things are okay. You don't have to worry about um, the fact that the the hero business of actually fighting is finished because we can still be heroes in our day-to-day -day lives. And Karin actually also asks uh, Taisha to let her stay at the same uh, junior high school until graduation rather than move back to where she was before. And then they get to make plans for summer break. So as a reward for defeating the evil, Taisha gives them a, a hot spring trip, uh, the Adyokan trip uh, during their summer break in episode seven. So we get a really fun, cute, like, really relaxing episode where everyone is chilling. It's great. A lot of silliness ensues. We find out Togo is really into ghost stories. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Mm. So it's the cute scene where they're all kind of like, oh, let's go to bed now. And then you just hear Togo talking. And then you see the little cartoon versions of their heads like, what? what? What's happening? This, this is terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. In general, it's a it's probably like the peak silly episode for them. It's it's really great. It's like everything's over. We can relax. Right. Like so everyone's relaxing and we get to see them like yeah. in their I don't want to say like their purest form or something, but like, yeah, it's basically that. 
But yeah, so uh, I do want to put in a spoiler point here for anyone who has not watched this show and and all that. I would say that the spoilers that we talk about after this are all like, you know, this this season is kind of like the important background that you need to get into the rest of the series. So if you haven't watched any Yukuna is a hero, and I forgot to mention before, but they have kind of officially stated that the Yuki Yuna part of this franchise is basically over, but that they're going to continue the franchise elsewhere. So like the world is continuing to expand, but yes. So if you don't want to hear any spoilers, then please pause the podcast, go watch the show and come back. (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, so uh, getting into that. So at the end of episode seven, they get back to school or they get back to from summer break and who is is told that she has to go back to the club room and she finds that everyone's old phones which had had their transformation devices in a convenient app on them as well as a, a new fairy is waiting for her and it turns out that the fight is not in fact over yeah so you know, next episode, uh, Fu has to tell the others as well that, like, it looks like the battle is not, in fact, over. And everyone, except for Karin, gets a new fairy. I for- We forgot to mention the fairies before, but there are fairies. They're very cute. Uh, they help defend the <laughs> girls um, while they're in battle. Yeah, they, they don't um, They don't kind of play as much of a role as you might expect. They're, they're often just, like, in the background during a scene. Like, they're in the clubhouse, and they'll just be, like, floating next to them. And, and then in combat, you see them kind of, like, you know transform as part of them and everything but like they, they don't really talk much or interact much um but yeah they, they get new ones don't they and they're kind of showing them all off in in the in the hero room yeah they, they don't really like talk at all <laughs> but they're all very <laughs> cute right like they are you know serving serving the visual function that you might expect of a mascot but yeah yeah as far as like the, the system goes and any like information about what they're supposed to be doing, that all happens through Fu and also Kadin talking directly to Taisha by email. We never see them really uh, until later, but you know, it's, it's always like in these emails and stuff that we get any new updates and things. But yeah, so it's a little daunting and a little confusing that they were told they would be finished after defeating the 12, but we end up getting another, uh, another battle pretty much right away. Um, a forestization as it were. And it turns out that like the next vertex, uh, it seems to be like only one left possibly, but it is just full of cores, which is what they have to, uh, destroy in order to destroy the vertex. So they have to like, do a lot in order to defeat just one vertex it seems it seems like a a pretty you know easy battle no biggie but when they are coming back from forestization uh, usually they just like end up back where they were before or they end up at the roof of their school but this time yuna and togo are gone and when they come to uh, they're actually in a completely different place in this like kind of shrine area and we see this girl who's hospitalized. Well, she's she's not in a hospital, but like she's in a hospital bed and she's completely bandaged. You could barely see her face. And she identifies herself as someone named uh, Sonogo Nogi. And she knows Togo seemingly, but she calls her Washi, a completely different name mm-hmm. that she doesn't recognize. And um, 
one thing that we also know about uh, Toko at this point is that she has this ribbon that she wears in her hair that she knows is important, but she doesn't remember why it's important because the um, accident she was in that had rendered her um, legs unusable just kind of seemed to wipe her memory. So she doesn't really remember a lot about, you know, the context of, of all of that. But uh, she explains to them that there's a lot more to the hero system. In particular, every time that a hero goes into this Mankai form, they actually permanently lose the function of one of their body parts. This basically means that the heroes are actually sacrifices to Shinju, to the god. And the things that they're going through that they've been talking about as, you know, getting better, as as Taisha has been telling them would happen, are not getting any better. In fact, they will never get better. It's pretty sad to hear this information and like, just kind of like, hey, we, we weren't told about this, right? So basically, if they continue to be heroes, they will end up like Nogi in this state of being just like this uh, eternal being, more or less, but one who is just unable to do anything but just lie in bed so it's yeah it's it's a it's a pretty like dark thing um also she's like surrounded by people who are like waitstaff or taisha or whatever so it's like very clear she's being treated almost like a god in her own right but she's trapped in a bed and the next episode yuna and togo do tell fu about this they decide to not tell itsuki and karin until they're like more sure that this is actually true but yet it's especially kind of rough because itsuki had lost her voice right and that's been causing problems for her because like she had been doing all the stuff around singing and it's a lot and in this episode we also find out uh or i should say like togo has figured out and uh, relays to the others that the fairies prevent them from committing suicide it's it's like a really it's pretty heavy to see like how she has tried to uh, and in multiple ways tried to kill herself but the fairies actually like stop them so it seems like the fairies job is really not to protect them but to prevent them from dying and yeah we, we even see like a, a checklist don't we where she's like okay i've tried poisoning tried drowning and it's just like i have survived every single one of these things yeah um it it's it's a really powerful moment and not to like jump ahead or anything but i think it's where like the main theme of the series really sets in where at least the way that i have always viewed it is is it underlines that like the the taisha who as you said are like like kind of religious but they're like also kind of the government it's kind of like a little bit vague exactly who they are but it's definitely like they are the they're the power structure kind of yes in this society we figure out what's going on is so i don't know if i'm reading too much into this but the way that i i saw this when when i watched this episode is that I saw it as kind of like a commentary on the way that society treats teenage girls mm-hmm. because the Taisha are shown to um, seeing these teenage girls' bodies as sacred and special and important and something to be worshipped, but they do it in a way where it completely takes away the autonomy of the girls it it takes away their ability to choose and they don't even tell them the truth 
so when I was watching this, I was like, this feels like they're kind of commenting on how, you know, we've got this society that um, puts youth on a pedestal and especially female youth a lot as like something special, um, but often in a way that dehumanizes them and objectifies them. And then in the series, that's essentially what's happening is that these poor girls are becoming objects of worship against their own will mm. um, and are having their own kind of, um, yeah, their, their autonomy and, and you know, their, their youthful activities that they're getting up to and all the fun they're getting up to is being taken away by the power structure that's saying, oh, you are wonderful and we worship you, but we're going to literally take pieces of you as part of that worship. Like I said, maybe I'm reading too much into it, but um, when I saw this episode, that's when things clicked for me. And I was like, oh, wow, this is actually kind of really clever. Like, like this doesn't feel like a dark twist just for the sake of having, you know, a, a grim twist in the series. It felt like it was actually one that had some thought behind it um, and kind of a little real world parallel. Hmm. Um, I don't know if any of that occurred to you or if that's just me overthinking it but um <laughs> yeah i mean it didn't occur to me i don't think that means you are overthinking it i think that's a very interesting reading of of this series and in the system you know i definitely don't think that it would have been you know dark for the sake of being dark right there's there's always like some message about you know the system and and so on that you can get from from any series really but Sure. Yeah, but that especially like, you know, these these shorter ones, you know, there's usually some sort of comment on society and stuff. So so I don't think that's unwarranted. I think it's a very interesting interpretation. But, cool. but yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it, in this episode, right, once this is like fully confirmed, then this becomes a really major problem for Fu because Fu figures out like, OK, if this is true, that means that Itsuki's voice is never going to uh, come back. And she's never going to become a singer, which is what she has found out uh, is her dream or was her dream. And the way she finds out is like, it's so heartbreaking because um, someone calls yeah. the apartments, you know, their parents died when they were young. And so Fu has been, you know, basically like a mother to Itsuki, always taking care of her and so on. But yeah, they, she accepts a call from this uh, company that has accepted this uh, vocal audition from Itsuki and has, you know, has called to congratulate them because she passed, right? She is able to to move on and they're interested in having her on as a singer. And she had not had no idea this had happened, of course, right? Itsuki had done this, you know, in secret. And so she goes to their computer and finds a recording and listens to this like final, you know, piece of Itsuki's voice talking about herself and talking about the hero club and then singing. And it just like breaks her right she's she's so yeah. furious that she was tricked and and because she was tricked she in turn ended up basically tricking the others and she starts to go on a bit of a rampage she transforms even though they're in the real world and starts to to battle Kadin and then Yuna and Itsuki also come and stop her and they all talk about how no don't worry it's not your fault and we don't regret joining the hero club and being a part of this so we're gonna we're gonna get through this we're gonna figure it out just a devastating episode yeah it's devastating yeah like i i cried when i watched this for the first time 
uh, I cried again rewatching it on the spare. It's it's a really, really, really well done scene because you have um, Itsuki singing in the background, singing, you know, her song to demonstrate her singing while over the top of it, you've just got Fu crying, just being overwhelmed with guilt and then going on her, her rampage and just declaring she's going to attack the Thai shirkers. They've just been tricked and, and she's just got all this guilt because she's the reason everyone joined the club. And it's it very like emotionally intense. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's just like, you really feel the pain. Like also the voice actors are all fantastic <laughs> for this yeah, series. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Just a very sweet and heartbreaking uh, moment for, for everyone. And you know, they don't really have any more time to kind of process this as they have another fight. And so then we get in episode 10, a really nice flashback episode about Togo's past and her having lost her memories and like uh, going back and like reliving her meeting Yuna for the first time after her family moves and joining the hero club and everything. And so this was pretty wild because like as she goes back to Sonoko, she figures out like, oh, she had been a hero before and her legs and her memory were lost because she had gone into Mankai form at that time. And uh, she figures out from this that her name before had been Washio Sumi. That's why she was called Washi. And when like she goes back to Sonoko, she asks her to explain like info, what is going on here? So it turns out that the vertexes were created by gods to cleanse the world and other gods became the Shiju and created this barrier around uh, just just Shikoku, right? Like uh, just this one part of Japan um, in order to protect yeah. the world. <laughs> everything else is gone. <laughs> it's, everything yes. else has been eaten, yeah. destroyed. That's all that's left. Yeah, which is wild. Um, <laughs> also an interesting part of yeah. Japan to protect, but I guess <laughs> it makes sense. It's a small island. Um, so yeah, so this, she decides to take care of this herself. She tries to figure out to see for herself if this is true as they're in forestization mode she she goes to the full barrier and like actually crosses it sees it's on the other side and it is in fact just a completely destroyed world it's horrific and she also sees that these vertexes are being rebuilt in real time the ones that they had defeated before they're being rebuilt and so it's very clear that like no matter what they do they're going to have to keep fighting and fighting until they are disabled uh, to completion like Sonoko was. Yeah, it's it's like realizing that it's an endless cycle, mm -hmm. like the, the whole time in the series that they've been kind of told there's a limited amount and once it's done, it's done. And then you have this, yeah, horrifying scene where it looks like she's, you know, traveling towards the mountains and the fields in the distance. And then she just goes through some visible wall and all of a sudden it's just like, empty space just covered in all vertexes and all these monsters and yeah the vertexes are being like rebuilt and it's it's just like oh it it's just endless this is just awful and you can see she just despairs at it it's it's really dark moment it's really well done yeah so this is kind of her breaking point and she decides that like on her own you know without talking to anyone else she decides that the solution must be to just simply let the world be completely destroyed and destroy the Shinju. So she blasts a hole in the barrier. So she leads, she unleashes these, these tinier, like 
I guess they're also vertexes, technically, whatever. Uh, they're called stardusts. But these tiny creatures, which were building the vertex, they have been released back into the into this forest. So it's like a lot is happening. Yuna and Karin figure out what has happened. And so they're trying to stop her. And they learn the same thing. But yeah, she, yeah, it's just like, it's a whole lot. And Yuna's Yuna is so devastated by all of this stuff that she temporarily can't transform into a hero anymore. And she feels like it's because she has failed uh, as a friend, right? So Karin decides to go and fight herself and she undergoes her Mankai process for the first time and then again and again, just like letting it all out in order to try to stop everyone and protect everyone. Uh, at this one, it's not really about Shinju, it's about protecting the others. But because of that, she becomes blind and deaf and loses control of, I think, all of her right side by the time Yuna yeah. finds her. It's a horrible scene, isn't it? Yeah. She's just laid there and she's like, I can't see or hear you, but I'm talking in case you're there, basically. And it's just like, oh my gosh. Yeah. But like you say, what what I really like about this, this you know, finale is the girls decide we're not doing this because of the tie show we're not doing this because it's been you know given to us as our duty we're doing it because because we're friends we're doing it to protect each other we're doing it to protect the people you know but back in our lives I, I just think it's a really really nice moment because it's it's kind of like they get their autonomy back almost because it's like then they're, they're no longer doing it because it's a mission they've given they're like no we're doing this because we want to do it and we're doing it for each other and i, just, I think that's really it's really sweet like it's, it's kind of like a subtle change like you know it's not like they're doing anything drastically different but the reason they're doing it has changed and i think it really just fits nice with the theme of the series and their character arcs and yeah i i i very much enjoy uh, all of that stuff yeah yeah it's like it's it's an interesting version of the power of friendship winning the day <laughs> mm, yeah 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 so it becomes like this really big battle there's a lot uh there's a few more uh mongkais <laughs> and everything yeah. but yeah they they really do it they go through the full fight it's really big uh so yuna and and mimori in particular they go to like kind of fight the the main of the Vertex's final attack, it's like super huge, right? They all work together, they all go through Mankai, and it's very intense. Yuna gets the final blow, and they know that everything is over because their fairies disappear. And then mm. when they wake up, you know, everything is seemingly getting better. And we see that all the, the previously lost abilities have become regained, including Toko's use of her legs, Itsuki's voice, etc. But Yuna is the last one to come to. It seems like she's been she's been in this um kind of not quite like a coma, but kind of a coma state where she's yeah you know, in a in a wheelchair. We see her like sat up in bed, don't we? But she's like staring into nothing and she's clearly just like not consciously present. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's very hard, especially for Togo, because she really like this was always about their friendship more than anything else. But she visits yeah. her every day and tries to tell her about what's going on at school and everything. But yeah, one day she like she breaks down and and cries about how much she misses her. And then Yuna does in fact come to, and it seems that now that she's back, everyone is is back to 
to normal. So like, like your sister warns, everyone's disabilities were all cured. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No one's disabled anymore. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that's the end. Um, like, I feel like that part is the main problematic element of this series, right? Yeah, I agree. I think especially because of how it was presented. And so like, it was presented as Togo being this, you know, disabled character who becomes a magical girl. And that got a lot of people very into the series who had not even heard about it before or might not have necessarily given this a second glance. And the way that they, they handle it was really cool again, like the way that she's able to uh, have functions and, and like she would do like long distance stuff, right? So she doesn't have to move as much, but if she does have to move, she has all these ribbons and things like, like it was very cool, functionally speaking, to see her battle and everything, despite the fact that she yeah, can use her they, legs. Yeah. They put the effort in, don't they? Even outside of the battle, like, you know, when, when they go to the, um, the beach, for instance, she's got like a, a like an accessibility assistant with her and, and she's in like, you know, like a, a seated like float so she can still go into the sea with them like they they put the effort in to show like proper disability representation which makes it extra kind of awkward and uncomfortable at the end when it's just all wiped away and she's fine she can walk again and it's like okay that's yeah i think unfortunately there isn't a whole lot with like the way that things work in this system that could be done to like make that better i feel like in this particular series i think that there you know there are certainly ways and i think it would be really great in the future if we do get to see like proper disabled representation mm. of this sort i always think about like the alternative reality in which we did get that uh 90s american sailor moon and we actually had a <laughs> magical girl in a wheelchair like yeah 30 years ago but um you know, I think that it would be it would be really neat if we could get that uh, at some point. I don't think that this is the 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 show for that, unfortunately. Nope. <laughs> but this is unfortunately also the closest we have right now. Yeah. To that, so it really sucks because it's like you want to be able to recommend this show to people, and I do genuinely like like the show, but that ending makes it so that it's just like basically it kills the representation. It you does. know, it it just makes it renders it. Um, null and void so yeah, it's, it, it really sucks it does it's like you said it, it makes it hard to recommend like i i like the series i think it's really good but forever ago when we initially talked about we were going to talk about this on the podcast the first thing that like popped into my mind is like okay so we need to address that we need to address the disability we need to address the you know magic cure because it's it really is a a shame it just is a shame it's not handled better but it's not the worst representation I've ever seen by any means, but I think it it is a real shame. And like it, it put my sister off watching it and I don't blame her at all. She basically asked me to tell her how it ended because she wanted to know going into it. So I said, once I'd finished it, I said, okay, it's not great. Here's what happens. And she said, yeah, it's kind of what I expected. And yeah, that's a real shame. I would have loved to be able to go back and just say, yeah, there you go. Representation, disabled magical girl, but nah, not quite. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It really sucks, just genuinely for this franchise, because it is otherwise like like pretty solid. And the other thing that we have to warn about, uh, as far as problematic stuff, is the fact that you know, despite their age, to different degrees, they do have some like sexualization of their characters and things. Yeah. 
the main thing just being simply uh well unfortunately again togo's character so uh, it's most clear in the actual transformation sequence like there mm-hmm. are some weird shots but for her case you know the way that she transforms which i think even before everything that happened in the end always made me uncomfortable is that these ribbons wrap around her body and like just are kind of focused on a little bit too long there's a bit too much lingering there so her transformation sequence is weird in that she looks quite helpless for me it's like the opposite of a precure transformation right Mm. because like a precure is a very active especially more recently they're very active transformation sequences the girls are like eager and ready and excited to transform and then what we have here instead is yeah this this girl who seems to be almost like made to transform which is like i don't like that yeah it's it's like it's happening to her rather than she's actively doing it yeah and the the camera lingers on her breasts and it's just like this is a middle school child like this it did skeeve me out and and like I generally have a really like low tolerance for this stuff like there's plenty of shows I watch one episode of and gone nope cannot just the way that it's it's presenting you know a teenage character just I'm like I'm not watching this right and yeah in, like you say in in Yuki Yuna it's 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 like a couple of like weird little moments and then otherwise it's not really there and and it's it's disappointing that it's there mm-hmm. when it is because it's like well that's really kind of skeevy and you it's not necessary it yeah yeah it's it's disappointing but it yeah i guess it says something doesn't it about the situation that it's it's like it's a weird thing to say that it's tolerable compared to how bad it could be which is not yeah great. No, that's fair. It's fair. Because it's it that is definitely true. Because there are other shows like I mean, part of it is just simply the the demographic, right? There's this expectation of this. And so pretty much every time we get into a magical girl series for this demographic, you're seeing that it's just like very it's yeah, yeah, like you said, compared to other series, it's very minimal, which Mm. is like why it stands out more. Because they could have easily done this show without that it would have yeah. been very simple there there isn't a whole lot that had to be changed in order to remove that aspect mm-hmm. i think mm-hmm. yeah you could very yeah. easily just snip it out and you yeah. wouldn't miss anything you know right yeah so there's that as well um you know it's it's especially the case with with togo's character but in general mm. with all of them um there's a little bit of that and it's like uh we really don't need this actually but it's also like one of those things where, you know, it you can usually go into a show for this demographic and expect at least a little bit of it, mm. unfortunately. So so there is there's that. Uh, yeah. But getting into some positive stuff, Mia, who's your favorite <laughs> character? <laughs> oh, uh, good question. Um, I think as as we kind of already sort of implied, I think um, Itsuki is perhaps my favorite i go back and forth between itsuki uh, and fu so like the little sister big sister mm-hmm. i think their dynamic is really fun um i i really like the kind of depth we get with fu's character because you see especially at first she's very very confident she's very um loud you know outspoken in in a very like fun way empowering way but you see these moments as the series goes on that 
shows, you know, that the guilt that she's dealing with, the responsibility that she's feeling as well. Like she she has to act a lot older than she is because she's essentially being a mother as well as like a big sister. Um mm. I, yeah, I really like that about her character. And I think the the payoff when she goes on her, her rampage, it feels really earned. It feels like, yeah, of course, like she, she's had all this pressure on her all this time and, and all this guilt. It, it absolutely feels justified that she has the moment where it's just too much. And then I love that the conclusion of that scene is it's the other characters, including Itsuki, comforting her. So it's like she finally gets to be looked after a little bit after looking after everyone else the whole series. Yeah, yeah. I think I don't know. I, I'm a big sister, so I don't know if part of it's that. <laughs> part, like, <laughs> oh, totally, totally. That, I, I but... as a fellow big sister, I agree. <laughs> yes, she's yeah. very relatable. Mm. I think what's interesting is that um, having sisters who are magical girls is generally quite rare. Yeah, it's never happened even in like Precure, right? So it's like, well as far as main teams go. Um, (laughs) So I think that it's really interesting to see like a a situation like this, like it's very deliberate, like the older sister got the little sister into being a magical girl, thinking that this would be like great for them, not knowing, you know, the full scope of things. And then so when she's betrayed by Taisha, she feels that like she has in turn betrayed her sister she has kind of failed as a big sister yeah in these responsibilities yeah just so heartbreaking and yeah yeah she's she's great for sure yeah yeah they're such great characters together as well (laughs) totally yeah and yeah you make a good point like it's it's not common you see sisters as magical girls and i think the age difference makes it a little bit more interesting as well obviously it's a small age difference but i think it just it just adds something to the dynamic like i think if they were Mm -hmm. both the same age i think we would have kind of lost something i think in the plot mm. but having them just a bit different you you get that kind of big sister little sister dynamic that yeah adds adds a lot to the to the, to the show yeah totally i mean there is a big difference between 13 and 15 <laughs> yeah <laughs> That's true. yeah 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 but yeah it was just like their dynamic is so so great i think all the characters in general, there there are great things going for them. Like they did a great job of getting us to know and love all the characters in this short little show, right? As part of the, yeah. the balancing of the mundane and the magical in this series, like they do, I think a pretty pretty good job of it. Yeah, with um, Karen, for instance. Even though this, she's like the same age, she has kind of the upperclassman like mentality. Mm-hmm. I think she says at one point that, that you know she's um, she's here to supervise them, and and she may not be the team leader, but she's the most experienced. Um, but then to have it so that she's the one that doesn't go monkai, like like she's the one that doesn't transform, and and you know, so in, when they have what they think is the final battle, she's like you say, she's a little bit out of sorts because she's like, oh, in the end they kind of did all the important work and that I think is is really good for her like character arc and seeing her as well just go from someone who's all about this duty to actually enjoying herself and Mm -hmm. becoming real friends like you mentioned I think one of the kind of cutest moments for her character is um when she sends the the email and says like hey can I stay at this school actually like because it's showing that 
she wants to stay a part of the group. She wants to be with her friends, even if she kind of wouldn't admit it at that point. Right. Yeah, I, I think surprisingly, I kind of felt like Yuki has the least character growth and not in a bad way, but more that I think the character she starts out as, she's kind of still that character at the end, hmm. but her presence sort of impacts the rest of the group her solid determination and her kind of dependability um it works really well like like i didn't feel that she needed any more character development or anything but i find it interesting that the character who the show is named after is perhaps the least interesting out of the whole cast but yeah i don't know I think that's interesting to an interesting way to put it. I think for me, she doesn't need the character development because she's already mm. quite um, sure of herself. She's got a very strong yeah. sense of herself. So I think that, you know, for her, it's like, you know, the title is, you know, Yukina is a hero. She already feels this way about herself at the start of the series. So the series is her kind of like redefining what that means or trying to understand deeper what mm. this means in like the context the fuller context of the world as she gets to know more about it. So yeah, I think that she still has some development, but she, she doesn't need to change in terms of her personality or outlook uh, the way the others do uh, so much, I mm. feel like. So yeah, I do think she still has her appeal, right? Like some people just really have that oh, yeah. sense of self. <laughs> it's really great. I think there's definitely a lot of, of reasons I'd, for someone to have her be their favorite character. I totally would see that as well. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, I think they, they all have their, their various uh, appeal. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, one thing we didn't touch on that I like as well is um, the last scene of the series is them, you know, putting on kind of the, the skit, the play that they were putting on um, in the beginning. And they're putting it on again, this time for a bigger audience. And things kind of go wrong again, but they get the big, like, you know, standing ovation applause at the end. And we just see the spotlight on all of them as they're getting all the praise. And I just, I think it's a really nice moment. It feels really earned because although I don't think it's, it's not necessarily the case that the audience know everything that's happened. Right. It sort of feels like after them saving the day so many times during the series and getting no, um, no thanks for it or anything, it feels like at the end they're, they're getting all this applause and it's like, there they are, center stage. And it's kind of what they've deserved. I just think it's a nice moment to end on. Yeah, totally. I think it's it's very sweet. It shows again that they're being appreciated as heroes in their civilian life. Uh, despite yeah, the fact exactly. that like, they are definitely also heroes in the more traditional sense, but again, <laughs> no one knows about it. Yeah, it's, it's a very fascinating concept. And I'm definitely like, you know, looking forward to getting more into the rest of the franchise as we get into, because like mm. season two is, you know, looking into the past and then looking into the future. Yeah. And then, yeah, we get even more in season three. Also the countless, <laughs> countless novels and the game. and everything. Yeah. <laughs> so there's just like so much to this little world. So it's, it's interesting to mm. see like how they continue, you know, branching out into yeah, this little like universe of of Yukina, <laughs> of heroes. Yeah. yeah. I think they've, they've done it really well. Like that first series works perfectly on its own. Mm -hmm. You don't need anything else, but the extra stuff is really cool. And, and 
adds more to it. Yeah, I'm really happy with the way they've done it. Yeah, it's pretty exciting. <laughs> but yeah, so is there anything else that you wanted to talk about regarding this series? Ooh, um, gosh, I don't think so. I think we kind of covered everything. I got my little uh, reading too much into it rant about there, about, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I guess that was the main thing I kind of wanted to mention. Yeah, I, I think we kind of covered it. And I think we did a good job of touching on the kind of wobbly aspects of it as well, while still able to appreciate the, the better parts of it. Yeah, yeah. Again, I think the problematic aspects are, are there, they need to be acknowledged, but um, there's still a lot of, of good in the story otherwise. And it's just yeah. like, I think if we were in a world where there was a lot more disabled representation, I think it would be less of a problem. But I think because this is like yeah. the only thing, it's like the main thing that makes it a problem. I think you're right. Yeah. But yeah, awesome. So uh, I guess in that case, we can get to the <laughs> final question, which is... Um, Mia, do you have a magical persona for yourself? <laughs> oh, yes. I mean, I have to, don't I? Like, like, I think the the best. Oh, see, this is where I wish it was almost a video podcast. So I have two um, tattoos that I can at least at least show you. Yeah, if, you can show me. The, Great. <laughs> but um, <laughs> I have two tattoos on my forearm that are um, magical girl inspired. So I've got like the pink crescent moon and the ribbons like crystal hearts uh mm -hmm. got my like my blue rose like milky rose style going on there oh awesome <laughs> so <laughs> i i got these tattoos deliberately to um sort of celebrate myself um in in it sounds very big-headed doesn't it but to celebrate the fact that i am someone who has embraced my more traditionally feminine interests um, and that i'm very comfortable with myself now so i know it's a very corny answer but my magical girl persona is sort of myself um mm -hmm. <laughs> i often joke that my transition was a magical girl transformation it was just very very slow it took a few years <laughs> i've certainly heard usual. that from other from other trans girls before so that that cool. makes sense <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah yeah um awesome awesome so if you were to be like a you know transforming magical girl mm -hmm. do you have any notion of like what kind of abilities and so on you might have yeah see i'm i've always think i don't know what it is but i always think water would be the element that I would go for. I don't know why. I don't know if it's if there's some like you know Sailor Mercury fandom going on from from being a kid or what. But I'm always like, yeah, you know, it, I do um, tabletop role playing quite a lot, and I, I'm constantly trying to get my friends to um, play Glitter Hearts with me. And I'm like, <laughs> I have my character all made up for everything, and I'm like, come on. I know we all love D and D, blah blah blah, but I'm like, let's do this Magical Girl series. But I, I can never get more than a couple friends on board and I'm like one day I'm going to convince them and then I, I can play my kind of you know water uh magical girl character uh and I I always joke my friends I'm like if I was to transform I'd get the two the two crystal hearts on either arms and I'm like because because they match together look or like clearly if I like put them together ah, that, that would yeah. like you know trigger the magical girl transformation so <laughs> yeah I have I have put too much thought into this yeah. <laughs> awesome awesome yeah yeah, I do hope you can manage to play Glitter Hearts with some friends because that sounds thank like a lot you, of fun. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, awesome. So yeah, Mia, thank you so much for coming on the podcast to talk to me about the show. 
thank you for inviting me. It's yeah. it's been great. Like I I love the podcast, so this has been like <laughs> extra special for me because yeah, it's it's thank fantastic. You, thank, thank you so you. much. So yeah, where can people find you and follow you to talk about Yukiuna and other magical girls? Sure. So yeah, like I said, I am Omiya God on a lot of places. You know, Twitter, Blue Sky, Threads, all the places that we're all running to from Twitter that we haven't decided on if we're staying there yet or not. Um, <laughs> I'm on Instagram as well. So it's like, oh my God, but Mia instead of my. I talk about queer issues a lot. Um, but yeah, I'm also a big nerd, like I say. And uh, oh, I guess I should mention, I did create a dedicated Precure account for myself on Twitter that, that I keep saying I'm going to use, which is which is just OMG Precure. Uh, one day I'll use it. Maybe by the time this comes out, I'll have started using it. So you never know. Please check it out and maybe I'm on there. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> well, just in case, I'll definitely put that link in the show notes. So yeah, thank cool. you thank again. You. And I hope you have a good rest of your day. <laughs> you too. Thank you. Thank you for listening to another episode of Sparkle Side Chats with Magical Girl Ayu. Whether it was your first or final time listening, we really appreciate each and every one of you. If you want to find more episodes of the podcast, you can do so over on uh, Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever else you get your podcasts. When you're over there, be sure to leave a rating and review as it helps out this little show so much. If you can support the podcast financially, you can find me over on Kofi. That's ko-fi.com slash Ayushinos, which is A-Y-U-S-H-E-K-N-O-W-S. You can either pledge monthly or leave a one-time donation. Either way, it will grant you access to all the bonus episodes of the podcast, more of which are to come soon. If you want to find me on the socials, I'm over on Twitter, Instagram, and Blue Sky as Ayushinos. Again, that's A-Y-U-S-H-E-K-N-O-W-S. And you can find the podcast at Magical Girl Ayu. That's Magical Girl A-Y-U. Thanks again for listening. And remember, you are magical forever and always. Goodbye.